This episode of Building Breweries is brought to you by Slot Drain. Meeting requirements for drain systems can be difficult. In older facilities, trench drains and four sloped floors were the standards in drainage. Today, Slot Drain is changing surface drainage by providing the first pre-sloped, prefabricated drain system. Slot Drain is designed to handle harsh temperatures and chemicals without corroding and can help manage your humidity levels while still reducing bacteria and saving you both cleaning time and effort. Whether you're installing slot drain in your brew house, fermentation room, bottling area, warehouse, or tasting room, you'll find that slot drain is sanitary and easy to clean. It's corrosion-resistant and controls odor. It handles extreme temperatures and is easy to both install and maintain. If you want to learn more about slot drain, visit their website at www.slotdrainsystems.com. Slot drain also invites you to stop by their booth, number 4009, at the 2017 Craft Brewers Conference and Expo in Washington, D.C., this April to find out why your brewery may be spilling money down the drain. Hey beer nerds, welcome to the podcast. You know, in this episode, I went down Interstate 64 to speak with Lexington, Kentucky Breweries, West Six, and Country Boy. These two breweries are pretty close in age and have been operating both for about five years each now. Um, At Country Boy, they're growing a lot. Daniel Harrison, one of the four co-founders, had a lot to talk about, so we go over their origin story that kind of begins in Japan. Uh, We talk about some infected beers and, and how, as a company, they can rectify that family life in a brewery, and and uh, we talk about their new uh, Georgetown facility, as well as their big five-year anniversary plans. Uh, you know, then I speak with West Six Brewing Company's Joe Kuzman, and, you know, for what it's worth, I recorded this about two weeks after the Country Boy interview, um, but we're talking about their, their impressive uh, philanthropic work um, and kind of their vision, their holistic vision on helping the agriculture in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Uh, they also do the Pay It Forward Cocoa Porter, which I highly encourage you to kind of do some research on and, and see what charities um, those six packs help. They have a new tap room, you know, about a mile away from what's what they're calling the green room. And uh, we also kind of hit on their logo and some problems with a big brewery. Let's just say it rhymes with Hatchick Matt. Um, and we talk about that for a little bit. Now, before we get into the interviews, I'd like to throw a little bit of love out to Tailspin Ale Fest uh, held here in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, the other day. You know, it was my first time attending, and, and a huge thanks to the organizers and volunteers and, and breweries uh, that were all there making sure everybody in attendance had a, a fun and a safe time. You know, what's cool about this festival, other than having 200 beers on tap and seeing over 150 breweries pr- uh, represented, um, it's that it's held in a World War II-era airplane hangar. Uh, at Bowman Field here in Louisville, so you know they had they had live music and food trucks, and they uh, they had a charity raffle with for a Dare to Care food bank, and you know all of the cool airplanes were on display. So 2017 was fun, and uh, I'm imagining that their 2018 uh, Tailspin Ale Fest is going to be even better. So go ahead and learn more about Tailspin Ale Fest at www.tailspinalefest.com. And, you know, thanks to everybody that continues to listen. If this is your first time listening, do me a favor and subscribe. I highly encourage you to. Uh, chances are you'll scroll, scroll down and, and see another brewery interview that you, you've probably want to listen to anyway. So please like Building Breweries on Facebook and, and follow the show on Instagram. 
Uh, my personal Twitter account is at MolarMD if you need to reach out. I'm here in Lexington, Kentucky with Country Boy. I am with uh, Daniel Harrison, DH, and Molly. How's it going, guys? Very, very well. Can't complain. Excellent. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you all, you all opened in, in February of 2012. We're just about to hit, your, we're just about to hit your five-year anniversary, and we'll talk about the celebration and everything here pretty shortly, but uh, congrats on that five years. Thank you very much. Um, there were a total of four co-founders, That's right? That's correct. All right. What, what, what's your story? How'd you all meet and get together? Yeah, so... I, we, we call ourselves, first of all, the embodiment of contradiction. So I got into craft beer when I lived in Japan for three years, and I was there with my partner, Nathan Coppage. Uh, both of us were there teaching English in the public school system via the Sister City program with Georgetown, Kentucky, and Tahara, Japan. And then, I, you know, just being in Japan for a long, extended period of time, you got to get into something if you're going to make it. And so we got into craft beer. We had friends that were into history and flower arranging and Japanese cuisine and things like that and we thought hey we like drinking beer so let's uh let's choose that route and so uh, we made friends with a, a guy named brian baird from oxford ohio who has baird brewing company in japan uh, they started in 2000 and he kind of took us under his wing and mentored us and you know just basically not taught us about craft beer but we were just infected by his passion for it uh and so inspired we, yeah inspired and so really just saw what he was doing and how he was doing it and and thought, man, like, you know, if I, if I can only care that much about something, I, you know, that's a good life to lead right there. And so he kind of empowered us and, and charged us with coming back to, to Kentucky and starting a, a brewery because he knew that's where our heart was. And so we came back. Uh, Nate came back in 2009. I came back in 2010. Uh, the, the plan for the brewery was made in 2008, drinking beer at his bar <laughs> uh, in Japan. And so it took us a few years to, to come to fruition. We met Jeff, our other partner, Jeff Beagle, uh, through the local homebrew club and then Nate's brother Evan joined us after he graduated from his master's program uh, in, in 2012 as well. So uh, it's been a, some days it feels like five months and sometimes <laughs> it feels like 50 years, but uh, we're going on five, so it's pretty cool. What was the, uh, the beer scene like in Lexington, you know, before 2012? Uh, you know, like most people here in town, I came up in, in weird beers, as my friends called them back then, before we had craft beer uh, at Pazos, Marika's, spots like that that had weird, weird stuff on tap. Uh, but, you know, there was Alltech was making Kentucky Ale, uh, which they were running on all cylinders in, making some great stuff. And that was basically it. Uh, you had Beer Engine in Danville had gotten open. And Brian Holton was kind of revolutionary in his approach to it with a, with a bar uh, attached to a little microbrewery that didn't look like a, a, what people thought a brewery was, with yeah. copper tanks and things like that. It could be done a different way. And he really helped us as far as, you know, paperwork and ideas and things like that getting open. But here in town, there wasn't much. So us and West Six uh, got open about a month apart. Uh, we beat them to the to the opening line by about a month. Uh, I can remember when uh, their partners all came here: Ben, Robin, Brady, and Joe. Uh, when we just had the warehouse, and we just we had some beers that we bought from Shenanigans and cracked them open and talked about, you know, was this thing going to work and who was going to come drink beer. So and, so you and West Six were hanging out before opening and just kind of yeah, sharing absolutely. ideas. I, you know, we were every we homebrewed uh, Nate and I homebrewed with Evan Thursday mornings because that's when I was off from work and Nate had, would finish up second shift and get up early and then after that we'd go to the beer trap and hang out and you know drink some flights with Kevin Patterson and so it was through that connection where we met Ben uh, and then found out their intentions at West Six but yeah we were we kind of had planned we didn't know each other we're going for it but we had we had talked about what the scene was going to be from the beginning so it took you a few years to get open obviously what in those planning stages what's what was the most difficult part about opening a brewery 
You know, back then it wasn't really difficult. Uh, we were so dumb that we didn't know what to be scared of to be scared of it. We just thought, hey, let's start. Let's just L- do it. Yeah, let's start an LLC. Let's get some insurance. Uh, hey, let's sign a lease on a building. And here, here's our business plan. We'll sell beer and we'll take that money and we'll buy more stuff to make beer with. And then we'll sell that beer. And, and that was all we thought of. We didn't know about distributors. We didn't know about ABC law. We didn't know about <laughs> much of anything. We just thought uh, it'd be kind of cool if we could, you know, quit our day jobs and start bartending and, and selling our own beer. That'd be fun. And what was your day job? Uh, well, most, <laughs> I guess, prior to that, and I laughed because it's kind of funny. I've done everything in the book. But I was working for a landscape company. Uh, when we were getting open, uh, spraying weeds and pulling weeds. Before that, I did a two-week stint at a Japanese automotive company huh. uh, that didn't last very long. Me and the <laughs> me and the owner didn't see eye to eye. And then before that, I was uh, managing uh, restaurants in Georgetown and a place called Galvin's, bar- where I got, actually got my start in the service industry, bartending. So I've I've had that was that was post Japan. I've done everything in the world before that. Excellent, Molly. How'd you get involved here? Well, um, I met Evan and Nate a few years ago through a friend of mine and kind of lost track with them when they were in the process of opening the brewery. But I was working up the street at Starbucks and I saw the guys come through to get coffee and I was, I was like, oh my God, hey, how's it going? Like caught up a little bit, asked him how it was going, thought nothing of it. And a couple hours later, I got a text from Nate that was like, hey, you want to be a bartender? And I was like, um, yes, please save me from this place. <laughs> I was in the back seat and uh, or in the back, in that back seat is, is, fancier than it was i was in the back of a tiny little compartment in in a not a full-size truck and i was like hey and we're actually stealing coffee because my dad had bought me the thing that you can get like coffee for a month for free after after christmas or whatever and so we would just take loops around the building and each get a cup of coffee in it and dump it out into something else and i was like hey that girl's bubbly and she's awesome let's hire her and so it's been a good decision so the moral of the story is always be happy in the job even if even if you don't like it because you never know who's going to be watching well, at Starbucks, it's hard not to be bubbly because you're just hopped up on caffeine okay. constantly. So, yeah, that was that was good. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let, let's talk about the Living Proof series a little bit. Living Proof is kind of the brainchild of my partners Evan and Nate, and it's a venture into wild, wood-aged, sometimes fooder-aged or fooder-born beers uh, that we don't re- we don't really know where it's going to go yet. You know, we. Evan took a trip to Belgium, probably going on a year and a half ago now, to kind of get into it and just learn about sour beers and that whole thing. And there's a lot of breweries in America, and we, don't want to, we never want to be negative, but there are a lot of people doing it the wrong way or doing it the easy way, I guess I should say. What is the easy way? The, you know, kettle, not, nothing wrong with against kettle sours. They have a place for everything. But if you, to do one of those and try to make it a Cantillon, is not, it's not the same thing. You know what I mean? Like you talk about beers that, are, that have hundreds of years of science and thought into them and have years of age on them. And you can't do that in a couple of weeks, I guess. Uh, and so for us, we really wanted to look at it and say, if we're gonna, if we wanna make some of these beers, and, and our Goza is kettle soured, for example. Uh, but, but if we really wanna make some stuff that we think is gonna be comparable to some of those worldwide known sours, uh, you gotta do it right. Mm-hmm. And so we, we invested in a ton of barrels. Right now we have over 200 uh, bourbon barrel size uh, barrels aging. We have punchins, we have 600 liter sherry butts and casks and all kinds of crazy stuff. We have the first 30 barrel, we have the first fooder, uh, which is 30 barrel in the state. Hmm. And so it's, uh, it's gonna give birth to basically four, uh, four series of beers that are gonna take on a bunch of iterations after that. So the Golden Wild, the Wild Red, the Wild IPA, 
and then the brown base, which is we're about to release the Ode Brune for the anniversary, and so that's going to be one of those. And then we've got all those different bases aging on peaches and blackberries and strawberries and with tamarind and a whole bunch of stuff that I don't even know about because they won't tell me yet, <laughs> and you know, and blends of that kind of stuff. And so it's re- going to be really, really fun. And and there's beers now that are probably aging that have been in there for a couple of years, mm-hmm. probably two and a half years at most. And there's some beers that are in barrels that probably want to be released for two and a half years. So. Excellent. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a cool series, uh, something that we're really, really excited about and something that I think helps us make a name for ourselves as somebody that's going to be in the game for the long run. Because if we're, if, if we're putting effort into these beers, we're saying, hey, we're, we're fully aware that this beer we're brewing today may not be released till 2020, and we're okay with that. How, it's kind of in the, in the same sense of you know, bourbons that you have to age something. How, how is your business plan affected by something that you know that you're not going to be even selling for years? So again, that's the hard part is you got to commit. And so the easy way, you know, in life and all things, not just in brewing, usually the easy way is probably not the best way you can go about it. Uh, but you have to be able to commit to say, hey, we're going to put the labor into this product. We're putting the cost of the grain, the cost of the yeast, the cost of the time into this product that we know we're just going to push off. And so we have to make sacrifices to do that. Uh, they're not always easy, but you know, it's just, it's just a commitment to us to, to do it right. We've always said we're going to make beer decisions, not business decisions. If you were to talk to a bank or you would talk to a bunch of, you know, investment guys and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take all this money and we're going to make a beer with it. That's going to age for three years and cost a bunch of money and we won't be able to sell it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a potential that it could go bad or it could not be as good as we think it's going to be. They'll say, that's stupid. Just make something easy. You can sell now, but it, that's not the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's also not the fun thing to do. Absolutely, taking a risk. Um, and and actually, since since you brought it up, and and I'm, and, I, and I'm bringing this up because I want to point out something to your credit. So you had a couple barrel aged beers that maybe didn't go as as planned recently. Yeah, for right? sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm told that you all tried to you know buy back the bad batches that maybe mm-hmm. retailers weren't really pulling off the shelf. They just refused to for whatever reason. Why why would a retailer not pull something off a shelf when they know that it's not up to the standard of the brewery that's actually selling it. So first of all, let's just address the, the, the issues sure. and we've never tried to shy away from it, but we had a couple bottle releases that were infected and the beard wasn't what we, what it should have been and what we wanted it to be and what it needed to be. And the problem with that is once it leaves our door, uh, and this is for good beer, you know, we have no control over anything else that may happen to it. You know, somebody could buy a six pack today, a cougar bait, and you know, put it on their and put it in the oven and heat it up or do whatever. <laughs> we have no control over that, right? And if somebody tries that beer that's mishandled, it's you know, even a good beer can can turn that way. But this beer, it was totally our fault. Uh, and again, we're we're not perfect, and we're not sure. you know, a hundred percent gonna make it you know we're not going to make gold every time uh, we know that but we're going to try to and if we don't we're going to own it and we're going to say hey what can we do to make the next batch better but we had some beers that went out of here and had some issues and so the problem and at least in this state is that we have a three-tier system uh, and it's very difficult for us to track product once it leaves here and so we talked to our distributor partners who who are great and we said hey we know we have issues out there uh bring this beer back but if an account has bought the beer mm-hmm. they have something invested in it real dollars and so if it's on the shelf they they want to make that back and they want to keep selling it it behooves them to just make the make their bottom line better and that's nothing that's no knock on them or mm-hmm. no knock on the distributors of uh, everybody's in this business to stay in the business and so it's difficult for us to pull all that product back even if we say hey we're, if you were unhappy with this product we're going to buy it back from you we're going to make sure it was right and we'll do that even for you know if somebody buys a six pack of shotgun and says, hey, I, I didn't like this beer. Cool. We'll 
we'll give you your money back for it. It's no problem. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's just good customer service. Excellent. Yeah, I, uh, I occasionally I, I post random you know pictures on Instagram and things like that, and I, I posted this one uh, bomber of a double IPA that I had received a long time ago. Now the picture I actually took was from a long time ago. Then I just recently just uploaded it. And Do the kids call that a later gram? I don't know. Do they? <laughs> Sure. I don't know if sure. Told late, me that late, once. sure. Late, later, Graham. Um, and I, I tagged the brewery in it, and then the brewery, within hours, messaged me. It was like, "Hey, listen, that's that's um, we haven't seen that batch in a long time. Uh, it's best served fresh, though. Let us know what you think about it." And and that makes complete sense because they're trying to protect their product, and they're just trying to say as like as a as a disclaimer, like, "Hey, the taste might not be what we intended it to be because it was opened so much later." But uh, no, but good on them for mm-hmm. at least having the wherewithal to number one be aware on social media. Yeah, but to to, con- to contact folks that are you know they're head, they're heading off the problem before there could be one, right? Yeah, exactly. So let's uh, let's go back to 2012 actually, and for sure, and, and the breweries opened. How hard or easy was those you know that first year? What hmm. what what did you not expect that actually may have happened, or or vice versa? Well, our business plan was 30 beers a day. If we could sell 30 pints a day, we could keep the lights on and we'll make tip money and we'll, that'll help us stay in business. Hmm. We never expected the, the, the reception that we got, uh, how busy we were. We had no employees. We were calling like the first weekend we were calling friends and family like, Hey, we need help up here. We're getting killed. Uh, you know, we're, that was definitely unexpected. It was easier in a sense because we weren't making any money and there were no other problems. And like I said, we weren't distributing. It was just making beer in the back and then moving it across the bar. Uh, in that sense, it was easier, but it, it was a, it was a rough and tumble start because you know, we were, we had to, we did our soft opening cause we had to, we were out of money. Uh, I have a little girl that's one month older than the brewery. So for the first probably five months, uh, I was, you know, home after they were asleep and I was gone before they were awake. Uh, but if anything, is worth it it's going to take time it's going to take effort it's going to take risk and so we were we knew we were going to put in that time from the from the get-go although i did hear that when you first opened the brewery and you were first tending bar that you would occasionally have your daughter in in a yeah, baby carriage she, on the bar she, she slept in her car seat uh, either under the bar or up on top of it so it was there were a few people that were taken aback by that but i was like it's cool she's mine i'm here with her it's, it's fine no no one came in and had a beer and left her it's it's obviously you know pretty it's 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 important if your family is supportive of you when you do a venture like this in, in, in any small business, how does that affect, you know, family life exactly when, when you're trying to open something like this? Well, you know, we're in the service industry, so it's, a, it's the same for a lot of folks that are in restaurants or in the bar business. Like we're going to pull long hours. There is no off time, you know, like we're, whether middle of the night or the beer doesn't sleep, you know, mm-hmm. weekends, holidays, whatever. But like I said, we're, we're committed to it and anything worth anything is going to take time. You know, and, and if, if you're going to make it work, we're going to make it work. We've said the same thing about the new place. Like, it'll succeed because we don't have an, another option. Uh, we'll, we'll put in the time. That, that's that's where you separate the, the wheat from the chaff, I guess, as they say. Like, not the easy part is just saying, hey, I've got an idea. Let's do it. The hard part is making those tough decisions and sacrificing and, and waking up when you're tired and you haven't slept and, you know, whatever it may be the you got to clean out the toilet in the middle of the night when it's clogged <laughs> and you don't want to you know that kind of stuff that's you got to work during a game you know, oh, cats yeah. may be, the cats may be in the national championship and you got to bartend did that happen uh, <laughs> to somebody I guess, well i guess yeah, yeah. we, we uh, the, the funny story about yeah. that one is we were all bartending here for the championship 
and you know everybody was just so into the game we're, you know, we're unabashed we're a wildcats bar and so people we're, we're trying to catch glimpses because we had one tv at that time behind the bar we're trying to catch glimpses of the game and finally somebody stood up and yelled at the bar don't be an asshole order your beers in the timeouts and the breaks and so then like all the people came up then so we can all sit and watch the game together so after that dude came up and decreed that it was a much more enjoyable game that's awesome and we won I will add, uh, as far as family life goes, um, Sachan, DH's daughter, has already planned to start her own brewery. So he is definitely an inspiration to his kids, if nothing else. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about the Georgetown facility. You, yes, you, sir. You did, you know, your five year, first five years here at the tap room, and things have obviously been, obviously been going well, and now you're ready to move on with, a, with an additional facility. Uh, what's going to happen there? So yeah, Georgetown was our solution to, I mean, we're running full tilt here. We can't keep up with demand. You know, we're always, uh, you know, we're short in orders just because we, we can't produce any more beer with the amount of space we have here, with the size of the brew house and the size of the fermenters. So our solution to that was to, after many failed attempts of finding another building to move into that was pre-existing, was just, hey, let's, let's build one. Let's make a building that's only geared to make beer. And so uh, it's going to be the, ho the home for production of all our core brands. So Cougar Bait, uh, both Cans and Draft, Shotgun Wedding, and then the upcoming Halfway Home Pale Ale, Cliff Jumper IPA. Uh, probably some other stuff as well once we grow a little bit and put some other seasonals in package and things like that. Uh, but it also has a tap room there that's going to be a shrine to beer. It's mm -hmm. about 4,000 square foot inside, which is four times as big as we are here. Oh. Plus a 5,000 square foot patio. Uh, it is, we have event space, we have private space, we have grassy space. It's gonna be, it's gonna be really, really cool. A, a tourist destination, we hope, uh, where, it's, where it sits in proximity to the Toyota factory and the horse park and things like that. So it'll be the next level for us that we're really, really excited about. Let us, let, it'll let Lexington turn back into a playground. <laughs> and so the, the tanks, the, the biggest tanks, the 60 barrel fermenters that we pull out of here that go there, we'll replace those with smaller tanks and then we'll just let the guys run wild here. So just do whatever they want. More ciders, more sours, and the living proof, pro, living proof program, obviously, more experimental IPAs, just whatever the dudes want to do uh, in the back. Let them flex their creative muscles a little bit and just roll with it. With the addition of that facility, you will become the largest brewery operations in the state. Is that right? Well, we will be the largest brew house in the state with a 50 barrel brew house now our friends over at Alltech will still produce a whole lot more liquid than us oh, every okay. year uh as far i mean they're they're shipping worldwide and they're, and, they're, and they're doing some really cool stuff but we'll be the biggest brew house in the state and then in all friendly competition i hope we're the biggest brewing operations in the state pretty soon <laughs> that'd be good excellent all right so let's talk about your fifth year anniversary it yes is, sir it is this month right yeah that's uh next weekend next weekend how are you how are you uh celebrating well we've got a in, in, as usual in the tap room, we're releasing a ton of crazy beers. Uh, we've got a, two different bottle releases. We're releasing our double barrel shotgun wedding uh, that's retooled with a really cool label that a local artist did. We're releasing uh, the Living Proof, the Old Brune, which is going to be an amazing beer. Uh, it, it's, it's got a cool package. Mom, the, yeah, the she, she's approval. seal of approval. Yeah. It's got a really cool package, a really awesome label. Uh, the liquid is out of this world, and it's 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 some stuff that, like I said, it's been in the been in the barrel for years uh so it's it's got a lot of making to it uh the taproom will be a lot of fun i, I would tell you all the stuff but i don't see the poster sitting right in front of me i'll, I'll hand the mic to molly <laughs> Um, yeah, I work, I work with our events coordinator pretty closely, so I have the whole thing memorized, yeah, good, but, um, good. yeah, on Thursday we have a pretty popular event that we've done with the gastronomes, which is a local food truck and they do, uh, we'll put on 12, like kind of rare fun beers of ours and they pair a small plate with each of the beers. 
So that's not ticketed. People just come and order what they want to order and drink beers and hang out. So that's 12 by 12 by 12. Mm -hmm. So that's always a fun one. And then Friday, um, we'll release the O'Bruin at 5. And that will just be, we have Athenian Grill, which is, they've exploded in the past five years, but they were one of the first food trucks that was regularly booked here. Hmm. So they agreed to come back and hang out with us. So we're going to do that. And then Saturday was going to be our sneak preview tour of the new facility. So we sold tickets. Um, we're going to give people breakfast, come hang out in the morning, drive them out to Georgetown, show them the new place, kind of just give everybody the rundown and get them as excited as we are about, you know, the new place opening. So that'll be a fun event too. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well said, Molly. When, um, when can people visit the new brewery once it's open? Well, we are not 100% ready to release an opening date, and the only reason for that is we've got inspection. It's, it's stuff that's outside of our control, so even even though we may be ready to, to roll out the tap room and all that kind of stuff, we've mm -hmm. got some inspections that have to take place first to be open legally. Our lawyers are glad I just said that. <laughs> uh, and so we're looking into February, so stay tuned to social media and things like that for the exact date. But most likely sometime in the next two and a half weeks, uh, we'll, be, we'll be rocking and rolling out there. Brewing won't take place out there until probably April. Mm -hmm. uh, once the system gets put together, right now we're doing a lot of fabrication, stainless welding on site. Uh, but the tap room will be open well in advance of that. All right. Well, guys, I see some beer in front of us that we need to drink. So I, I appreciate your time. Molly's is empty. She needs another yeah, one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Way to call me out. Thanks. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming. Thank you. All right, I'm back in Lexington, Kentucky at West Six Brewing Company here with Joe Kuzman. How are you doing? Doing well, yourself? Doing well. You're one of the uh, the four co-founders of West Six. Is that correct? Th that is correct. Who are the other guys? Um, my business partners are uh, Ben Self, Brady Barlow, and Robin Scyther. And how did you all kind of meet up and, and create this thing? It's kind of an interesting story is that um, I was working for Amazon.com for several years and uh, got burnt out. And decided to quit and wanted to start my own business. So uh, of all the places I'd lived, Lexington was the place I enjoyed the most. So I said, I'm going to come back to Lexington and, and start a business. Didn't know exactly what that was going to be, but started looking at you know what my passions are and uh, you know what business opportunities there were here in Lexington. And uh, decided I was going to open up a brew pub. And uh, I was planning on doing it myself. And uh, had a friend from college who had started uh, Allentown and Bethlehem Brew Works. And I uh, was hoping he was going to be my free consulting. Um, and then I talked to one of my other friends that I'd worked with at, at Amazon. And he said, hey, I know a couple other guys that uh, are thinking about doing the same thing. So uh, we met up one day and uh, kind of talked about what we had in mind and uh, what we wanted to do from, uh, you know, creating a, a beer culture here in Lexington. And uh, just kind of went from there. Do you think that you've been successful in that goal? Yes, I, th I think we have. I mean, it's kind of crazy. You look back, uh, you know, our, our fifth year anniversary is going to come up here in April. And to think about five years ago, what craft beer was. I still remember first time uh, we opened up and somebody came in and said, uh, you know, what's an IPA? And, uh, um, you know, probably a year after that, we had a Berliner Weiss on. And somebody was actually brought it back up and said, I think there's something wrong with this beer. <laughs> so we actually had to tell uh, our bartenders that, you know, if somebody orders that, um, you have to say, are you familiar with the style? And if they aren't, then you give them a sample so they kind of know what they're expecting. Yeah, you have to uh, educate the consumer. Yep. And uh, now people come in and they say, you know, how many different varieties of IPA do you have? You know, what sours do you have? So uh, it's, it's amazing how just within five years, things have completely, you know, transformed. Now, uh, you mentioned Amazon.com. Did you hike the Appalachian Trail before or after that? <laughs> I hiked after. So I, I quit Amazon the day after Christmas <laughs> 2010 and uh, started hiking on the Appalachian so, Trail. So you're, so you're 
I've been on sections of the AT before and everybody that you usually run into, they have a story kind of like that. They were working a job and they got burnt out of the job. I met, I met a guy in, he was just about to start his third year in law school and decided that he didn't want to start yet. And he just decided to take, you know, a year off and go hike the AT instead. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a lot of the stories just like that. It's interesting. I had, uh, uh, I guess I was in my early thirties at the time. And uh, one of the guys I hiked with for around 500 miles of it was this uh, eight-year-old kid that had graduated high school early. And it was the amazing thing that on the Appalachian Trail, it's, you know, it, nobody really cares what you did in the past right. or, or who you are. It's just, you know, do I enjoy You're there. You're there, yeah. And, you know, do I enjoy hiking with you? Um, but he actually stopped in um, earlier this week, and I hadn't seen him for a couple of years. But it's cool. You develop those relationships, and, uh, you know, it's much like owning a brewery is you develop these relationships and they, you know, they can last a lifetime. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the building that we're in right now. You, you call it the bread box. Do you know much of the history behind it? I do. Um, so it's a 90,000 square foot um, old bread factory. So um, the building was kind of added on to over the years, but the oldest section of the building is actually dated back to the late 1800s. Uh, the room we're sitting in here uh, was probably built in the thirties or forties and was actually used uh, to the uh, slice and then bag the bread and then it was transported into the center of the building. So it was a bread factory from uh, ni- or late 18- 1800s until 1995 and then it was a document storage company from 95 until 2005 and then it was just vacant um, until we bought it in August of 2011. What was the appeal when you bought it? You know, to be honest, I mean we searched all over town for uh, for a space to, to uh, put the brewery and originally we were going to do a brew pub so we we're going to have a restaurant as well as a distribution arm to the uh, to the brewery searched all around town couldn't find a building that kind of fit what, what we wanted you know big enough where we could do expansion but also had character and you know one of the core premises of, of our company was this idea we wanted to be environmentally friendly so what better way to do that than take a building that is basically you know physically here um, but not in use and not have to um, basically construct and use resources to construct a new building but one of the things is um, this was a pretty scary building so there was spent gun shells and spent needles outside when we bought it. Um, people thought we were crazy when we bought this building. Because um, like I said, it had been vacant. People had been living in here. All the copper had been stolen out of it. But, you know, the room we're sitting in, you know, these big tall ceilings, these trusses that uh, we painted by hand, um, it just had so much character. And they just don't build things like this anymore. And uh, it, it was that character that I, I think really appealed to us. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful tap room. And good lighting all around i just i just noticed for the first time the the growler lights that you have up there yeah um this was something we actually found online and uh we uh before we opened we actually had some volunteers come in and uh, we made all those by hand uh, basically what you do is you stick a string dip a string in acetone put it around the bottom light it yep. and then uh breaks off pretty easily breaks off yeah. pretty yeah some some break off better than <laughs> others <laughs> i i've uh, i make candles in a similar fashion uh, I like uh, with that. the beer bottles yeah um, so, you know, about a year year after you opened, um, I guess things are going well, and, and there was a little bit of a discrepancy or, or conflict regarding your, your all's logo uh, from, a, from another big brewery that kind of came in. And, you know, eventually everything settled, I guess. Um, are you able to comment on that at all, that, that story? Yeah, and but bas- basically what I can say is that, uh, you know, we had a disagreement. Um, we, we figured it out, and we, we moved on and, and wished each other the best of luck. Okay, I will say that I read that one attorney, I guess he was local to Lexington, said that although the big brewery won in, in the courtroom, you all may have won outside of the courtroom by the kind of social media exposure that you gained from that. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, PR. yeah, I mean, I think looking back, there were, were good and bad things, um, all things being equal. I, I wish it never would have happened, um, you know, a year in and we're growing as quickly as we did. The, uh, the amount of time and resources that we dedicated to that, mm-hmm. um, I wish we didn't have to dedicate. I, I think it would have been better, better uh, focused on other areas. Fair enough. So you, you mentioned the, uh, the IPA that you have and uh, what, are the, your, what are your other flagships that you're, you know, that is West Six. Yes. So the, the IPA is uh, is our flagship. Um, it's the best-selling IPA in the state of Kentucky. Um, we knew we wanted to basically lead with an IPA when we first opened up. So it was the first beer that we canned. Um, it's still my go-to. Uh, after all these years, <laughs> I thought, you know, maybe just like a lot of other people, you think that, you know, people are going to get tired of IPAs. But at the end of the day, when, uh, when I'm done working and I sit down at the bar, our IPA is still the, uh, the one I go to. Um, but the other flagships we have uh, available for distribution here in the tap room are the Amber, um, Cocoa Porter, and uh, we also have a Lemongrass American Wheat that uh, we can, and then mm-hmm. you know various seasonals throughout the year. Yeah, the, the Donka Chain is one of my favorite seasonals. Yeah. It's it's a really good Oktoberfest. It, it is. Um, and you mentioned the the Cocoa Porter, so you also have what you call the Pay It Forward Cocoa Porter. Can you talk about that program a little bit? Yeah. So. Is, uh, Whenever we thought about our company, again, this is kind of one of the core premises of West Six is this idea that we wanted to give back to the community. Um, you can give back to the community in, in a variety of different ways. You can give just straight monetary donations. Um, you can create a space that um, creates community and people come to and, uh, you know, makes just the, the, the neighborhood or the city a better place to be. Um, but we also thought about, you know, all we do is distribute, distribute in Kentucky. We jump across the river into Cincinnati. Um, we don't really want to go beyond Kentucky. You know, it's our home. Um, it's the people that we know. Um, Kentucky is the place that we love. And it's how do we give back to those communities? So not just giving back to Lexington, um, which is kind of our home base, but all the other areas that we distribute as well. So thought about how can we do that? Um, we originally brewed the uh, um, porter for a charity event that we did. Um, so what better way to, to kind of give back to the community and create a program where um, basically 50 cents for every six-pack that's sold, um, we donate a dollar or we donate to a uh, charity within, the, uh, um, within that region, and we basically break up Kentucky uh, and all the regions that we distribute into five different areas. People submit nominations, and uh, our staff votes on those nominations. And once a quarter, based on the sales, we give 50, 50 cents and our distributors um, Clark Distributing, Stagnero Distributing, and River City have agreed to match that 50 cents. And then another great thing is that Liquor Barn um, has agreed to match 50 cents for every six packs that sold out of their location as well. So you were able to influence multiple organizations to get in on the same project. Then. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's been great. And, uh, you know, our distributors jumped on board and said, yes, I think that's, uh, that's, that's something we want to help with. So it's kind of crazy, though. You go to Liquor Barn and you, you, you know, pay you know, nine ninety nine for a six pack, a dollar fifty of that is going to a charity yeah. within that liquor barns region. And then many six packs are sold as well. So. They, they are, <laughs> and it's my second. Our IPA is still my favorite, but uh, our Cocoa Porter is a, a, a close second for me. If I were to open a brewery and um, I just wanted to have like my my brewery's core beer, would you recommend it be an IPA? You know, it's 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 interesting that you know when we first opened up. You know, craft beer wasn't, from a market share perspective, was pretty small here in Kentucky. Um, so we started out with an IPA, and, you know, that was from a craft beer, um, within the craft beer overall market, that IPA segment was the largest. People have always been talking about 
IPAs, they're going to start falling off. Um, I've been hearing that since we first opened, but every year you go back and you look at the data, the IPA is where most of the growth mm-hmm. continues to occur within um, uh, craft beer. It's, it's, it's more segmented in that you know IPAs fall under double IPAs, session IPAs, regular IPAs, um, but um, it's, it's what the consumers want. And you know, I think ultimately it comes down to what, what do you think the best beers are that you can put out there? Um, not so specific on style, um, but you put the best product out there, and um, you know I think there's a market for it. Yeah, and in in regards to the IPA, I mean it's I feel like it's one of those few styles that people will go into any random bar or brewery and say what what kind of IPAs do you have? Like they name that specific style, and I just don't really see that as well as you know other other styles. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. Um, you know, that's what, a lot of times we'll go into retailers, and uh, they don't have an IPA on, and we say you know what. You can do what you want, but um, it is unique in that that respect. That, in my mind, if if you're a you know a, a retail establishment owner, you basically have to have an IPA because I mean that's what that's what I drink, right? Um, and a lot of other people do as well. Yeah. So we're not exactly in you know downtown Lexington right now. A little little on the little on the outskirts, I guess. Um, but not it's not too far away. And you recently opened up the West Six Green Room Tap Room in Lexington, downtown Lexington. Talk a little bit about that and kind of what inspired you to open a tap room that's you know, seemingly not that far away at all. Yeah, so if you actually look on a map, it's, uh, it's actually right around a mile away. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if you come to our place here, you can kind of, you, you see that it's close to downtown, um, but it is kind of a destination. Um, as businesses have kind of um, grown up around um, the brewery here, there are, um, things that people can do other than just come to the brewery. So um, kind of how things evolved, the area has become kind of a destination itself as well. Um, but what we saw downtown is the uh, the bakery that makes all of our um, soft pretzels, um, does cookies for us, does cupcakes for us whenever we have different kind of events. Um, they had space available. Uh, so basically they lease an entire building, half that building was available. And they came to us and said, we'd really like to have somebody, um, a business that we respect um, a business that um, we would basically like to partner with and uh, potentially kind of see where um, it goes as far as bringing you guys in and then potentially, you know, being able to um, provide some of our breads, some of our cookies for different events that you have. Um, so we weren't really actively looking. Um, they approached us, and um, they're, they're a great husband and wife team that uh, run the bakery, and um, they give us very good terms. And what we viewed it as was something that allows us to kind of target that downtown specific crowd. Um, So there's lots of events that happen downtown from parades to runs. Um, There's also a lot of hotels down there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people that come into town, even though we're only probably three quarters of a mile away from those hotels. It's still more convenient for them just to go there. Exactly. So it's this idea that, you know, we want to be able to expose them to West 6th. Ultimately, we want them to go to that location and say, wow, that was pretty neat. But then, hey, if you want to see the real, real deal, you know, walk a you know, mile away and uh, check out our main brewery and you know, take a tour and, and have that experience. So you're, you're, in the, you're in the beer game, you're in the, the philanthropy game, <laughs> and uh, recently got into the agriculture game with the, the farm West Six game, Farm. Yes. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and, and again, it's this idea that um, you know, craft beer has evolved so much since we first opened. And you know, I think in our minds when we first opened, it was all about expansion, right? 
Um, there's probably, you know, half the breweries that there are now. And, you know, over time, we realized that the, the market was becoming more uber local. Um, local used to be within, you know, 300 miles of your brewery, mm-hmm. you could be considered local. And kind of over time, we realized that that was getting um, smaller and smaller. I mean, you look at like Portland and there's what, 50 breweries. Um, so you have your neighborhood breweries and that was kind of where things were going. And so we kind of changed our mindset a little bit and said, you know what, we're not really looking at going wide from a distribution perspective. We'd much rather go deep and really support those markets that we're in. And Kentucky is a, uh, has a great agricultural history, um, still very agricultural now. And what can we do to create um, kind of a different experience? So if you come to our brewery, it's the true kind of urban revitalization concept. The Wessex Farm is kind of on the other spectrum, is the agricultural kind of ecotourism experiential um, experience. So the idea is that you can come out to Wessex Farm and you can see what goes into beer. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the grains and, and uh, ingredients that we use for our beer don't grow well here in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot of research, and we'd like to help facilitate that research. But more than anything is show people that you know beer truly comes from the ground. Um, so you can come out there, and not many people have seen what a, a hop vine looks mm-hmm. like and a hop trellis, you know, 30-foot telephone yeah. poles. I mean, it's, it's pretty dramatic. Um, but being able to give people that experience... So our plan is um, in the spring, and we've already broken ground, we'll have uh, a little bit over an acre of uh, true hard cider apples. Um, so not your sweet variety, but true um, hard cider apples. We'll have about 20 different varieties because um, none are really mm-hmm. grown here in Kentucky. So what we're planning on doing is planting a bunch of varieties and uh, seeing what grows. And you know, we'd love at some point to uh, help other farmers in Kentucky come to our place and say, hey, you know, there's a market for this. We've done a lot of this legwork. These are the varieties that grow of, of hard cider apples. These are the varieties of hops that we've been successful at growing. Um, why don't you take it to a bigger scale, and, mm-hmm. and we'll buy them from you. That's, that's a fantastic business plan. I like that a lot. Helps the helps the Commonwealth as a whole. Yeah, and I'm, like I said, I'm a big outdoors guy, so yeah. it's kind of nice to have 100, 120 <laughs> acres that you know, um, I can take my, my little boy and my wife out and go for you know, a hike in the afternoon. So you're, you're almost been open for five years now i don't believe for a second that every day has been perfect <laughs> name name a day that was just a bad day at the brewery for you maybe maybe a pallet fell over or cans canning problems or anything like that i think one, one of the worst days we have so this is a, is a really old building and um structurally it's it's very sound um but there's 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 a lot of issues right and mm-hmm. um you know it's ninety thousand square feet the brewery occupies around 35,000 square feet of it, but we have a lot of other tenants and kind of over the years, um, like I said, there was no electricity, no plumbing in here, so it's all been kind of added as uh, the space has been occupied. Sure. Um, downstairs in our basement, there was an old galvanized pipe, and um, it broke one day. So if you imagine like the, uh, the amount of just... Yeah. Water and, and waste <laughs> that comes out of uh, you know ninety thousand square foot b- building occupied by all these tenants. Um, that that was not a fun. Um, that was not a fun day. No, I can't. I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, but no, like like I said, I'm sure you've had a lot of <laughs> lot better days than. Yeah. Um, I, I can't complain. Like I said, uh, it's uh, it's been fun. But the, the, to me, and one of the things I underestimated when we first started was this idea of the impact that a brewery can have on a community and truly becoming kind of a, a community space. 
there was uh, somebody that came in town for a local conference from Canada and came and visited and had a few beers and he's like telling us how much he loved this place and he, he almost equated it to like the modern day YMCA where you know cool. you have all these different activities you know we have run club we got bike club we do gardening classes um, all these different things um, but it creates community I mean, at the end of the I, day. I don't know about West Six but I mean yoga and tap rooms are very popular right now yes yeah, it is a it's a community space, and, and I and I respect breweries that recognize that they're more than just a bar; they're part of the community. Yeah, so I mean, same thing. Like I said, we do our half marathon training team, so we had you know thirty people here at eight a.m. <laughs> None of them drank beer, <laughs> you know, but they came here. They you know right. went for a run, hung out, hung around afterwards for a little while. They, then they went off and uh, you know got breakfast together. Um, so that that that's the cool part, and one of the parts they underestimated when we first opened. So just as a uh, as an outsider, I would consider the last five years of West Six a, 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 a success. How do you plan on carrying that success over through the next five years? I think it's challenging. Um, I mean, it's one of the things that we talk about a lot is that um, you know we grew from just myself and my other business partners and our significant others running the bar, running the canning line, to uh, you know over forty employees. And uh, with that, it's actually more stressful now than it was when we first <laughs> opened. Um, because if things didn't go well, then we say, okay, you know what, we'll go back to our you know, old lives and you know, go work for corporate America again. Right. But now, I mean, people have come on board. They've been with us since day one. Um, it, it's our responsibility to, to take care of these folks. So we need to figure out how to continue to, to grow and create the work environment that we want. And, um, you know, I think a lot of our efforts can be put towards the farm. Um, there's, you know, when you look at a lot of breweries, people are investing a lot of money and a lot of capital mm -hmm. into expansions. Um, so there's going to be a lot of liquid out there. And um, I, th I think we're approaching it from a uh, kind of a cautious perspective that, you know, we don't want to invest in a ton of capacity. Um, we'd rather focus more on kind of the higher margin um, things that we could do and, and things that we're, we're passionate about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we, we've talked, you know, over the years said, you know, do we want to expand and go down into Nashville or, you know, going to Indiana? Um, but at the end of the day, if we're not passionate about it, like if I don't get excited about jumping in the car and driving to Nashville, you know, once a month, once every two months, sure. fantastic city. But um, we'd much, I think at this point in our lives, we'd rather have more of a work-life balance and really focus on the things we're passionate about. And mm -hmm. I, I think the farm has the opportunity to... Uh, um, to allow us to, to have that passion. Excellent. So if I'm visiting Lexington, when can I visit the brewery? Um, so we're open uh, every day of the week. We open up at 11 um, o'clock every day. Um, Smithtown Seafood that's attached to the brewery um, also opens up at 11, so you can come here and get a beer, get something to eat. Um, and then we close at 10 o'clock Sunday through Thursday, and then we're open up till midnight on uh, Friday and Saturday. Right. Joe, thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Yep, thank you. Thank you.